read from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14 from our Hebrew scriptures. This is one of my favorite stories. I know I may say that a lot, but this one is one of my favorites about Naaman. And uh, so I'm going to narrate a little bit as we go through. Naaman, a general for the king of Aram, was a great man and highly regarded by his master because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. This man was a mighty warrior, but he had a skin disease. Now, Aramean raiding parties had gone out and captured a young girl from the land of Israel. She served Naaman's wife. So real quick, if you've read the end of 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings, you know that Israel is in constant conflict with Aram. And the Aramean army has brought defeat upon the Israelites. And we find here that Naaman, particularly, um, some of the parties had captured a young Israelite girl, taken her from her family and her land, and now she serves Naaman's wife. This is the setting told by the Israel writer. The servant said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, I wish that my master could come before the prophet who lives in Samaria. He would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master, the king, what the young girl from the land of Israel had said. Then Aram's king said, go ahead, I will send a letter to Israel's king. So Naaman left. He took along 10 kakars of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. He brought the letter to Israel's king. It read, along with this letter, I'm sending you my servant Naaman so you can cure him of his skin disease. You realize what's happening here. The commander that just defeated Israel is now standing before Israel's king seeking help. When the king of Israel read the letter, he ripped his clothes. He said, what? Am I to, my God to hand out death and life? But this king writes me asking me to cure someone of his skin disease. You must realize that he wants to start a fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that Israel's king had ripped his clothes, he sent word to the king. Why did you rip your clothes? Let the man come to me. Then he'll know there's a prophet in Israel. Naaman arrived with his horses and chariots. He stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent out a messenger who said, go and wash seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and become clean. Notice Elisha didn't even go out. He sent someone out to this great commander. But Naaman went away in anger. He said, I thought for sure that he'd come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the bad spot and cure the skin disease. Aren't the rivers in Damascus, the Abina, and the Farpar, better than all Israel waters? Couldn't I wash in them and get clean? So he turned away and proceeded to leave in anger. Naaman's servants came up to him and spoke to him. Our father, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? All he said to you was wash and become clean. So Naaman went down and bathed in the Jordan seven times, just as the man of God had said. His skin was restored like that of a young boy, and he became clean. Our second reading comes from the final part of the book of Galatians, chapter 6, 1 through 16. We're going to focus particularly on the last half, but we'll start with one. Paul writes, 
Brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. Watch out for yourselves so you don't be tempted to carry each other's burdens. And so you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are important when they aren't, they're fooling themselves. Each person should test their own work and be happy with doing a good job and not compare themselves with others. Each person will have to carry their own load. Those who are taught the word should share all good things with their teacher. And we'll focus in beginning here. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good, because in time, we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then let's work for the good of all whenever we have an opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. Look at the large letters I'm making with my own handwriting. Whoever wants to look good by human standards will try to get you to be circumcised, but only so they won't be harassed for the cross of Christ. Those who are circumcised don't observe the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so they can boast about your physical body. But as for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through him, and I have been crucified to the world. Being circumcised or not being circumcised doesn't mean anything. What matters New creation. May peace and mercy be on whoever follows this rule and on God's Israel. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me and please pray for me. Lord, I thank you that your presence is ever with us when we call upon you and we truly seek you. You speak. You move. We ask you to speak at this time. And we attune our hearts to listen. Speak through me in spite of me. Help us to hear you in spite of ourselves. And may all that is said and heard, may it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, Lord, and may we trust that it leads us to life. Amen. Amen. We kicked off our time of Pentecost, which was a few weeks ago, which was the birthday of the church, as we call it. The Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in the house, and they spoke all sorts of foreign languages, and all the people from foreign lands understood them, and it was a wonderful moment where the Spirit all of a sudden bursted forth in a way that hadn't occurred prior. And we kicked our time off acknowledging that while the Holy Spirit spoke then, certainly the Holy Spirit still has much to say. In fact, Jesus told the disciples in John our first week, I have much more to say to you, but you can't handle it now. Does anybody here think they can handle all the Spirit has to say today? One day, yes, yes. That's why we have this wonderful, beautiful, long life for us to be brought into life. From the very beginning, the Spirit has been working for you and for all of humanity, trying to bring us back into right relationship with God, or what we say as the word peace. The death and resurrection of Jesus at Easter was only the starting point of this new creation bursting forth from a garden tomb. It was only the beginning of the Spirit's work. We accept these new clothes, as Paul 
paints it up. Through baptism, we put on the new clothes and we cast the old clothes off. Our old ways, our old identities. The things that we did years ago that we feel still defines us today, it's gone. It's easier to say than to live, is it not? And so we are also going to give up our perspective on the world. And that's really, really hard. Because who hears mom and dad raised them right, and everyone else should just pay attention to what you were taught, because you know the best way. Yeah. How many fights have been had over that? Yeah. Uh, newly clothed. See, it's just the beginning of a journey. We've begun the journey, and it is a lifelong journey. We make the decision every day to continue on our walk. If we just look back to our baptism and say, well, we're good to go because I was baptized then, you're making a mockery of the baptism. The baptism was you committing, and every day you live into that commitment. This means we must be diligent about our walk. We must be open and honest with one another and guide and protect one another. We must share with one another, even our failings. Can you imagine what it would be like to sit with someone and truly tell them everything, all the deepest, darkest secrets, for them to look back and say, oh, I still love you. And there's nothing you could do. There's nothing you have done to change that. How free would that relationship be? That's the relationship God invites us into. This means that we have to be diligent and we have to open up. We must operate with grace and compassion as our Lord Jesus does with us. This means we may witness faith we've never even dreamed of. How many of you have been shocked by where the Spirit has led you? And you may never fully understand some of the things that other people are led into. And this is a good thing. If we believe in the ever-expansive love and grace of God, then we have to believe in the ever-expansive love and grace manifested in this world through faith. Now, we crave freedom. We just spent a week celebrating it, and maybe you're not even done yet. And we're going to celebrate next year again, right, and talk about freedom. But what freedom is can mean lots of different things. Freedom comes in many forms. We've considered the freedom in our faith from sin and death. Do they have power over us anymore? Okay, one, one person that doesn't. Does anybody else? Does sin and death have power over you? Say it like you mean it. Sin and death, do they have power over you? Freedom from the old ways, the old clothes, your past identity. Freedom from trying to plot your own way through life. How often has that worked out? Now we're going to focus on our freedom from our own limitations and conceptions of faith in God. We're going to focus now on our freedom from our own limitations and conceptions of God. Okay? Naaman, an Aramean commander, has an idea of how the world works. He's obviously favored by God because he wins battles, but yet he has a skin disease. Naaman's been trying everything he knows. It took an Israelite slave girl to suggest something out of his limitations and conception. And he did. He followed it, which I think is kind of miraculous. Had this lowly person whose country he just dominated, now he's listening to her and goes before the king with the very idea, and the king of Aram says, go, 
and sends him to Israel. And he stands before Israel's king with the letter, and Israel's king, confined by his own limitations and conceptions of what is possible, stands up and rips his clothes, thinking all he's trying to do is pick a fight because what he's asking is impossible. And so Naaman is sent away. But Elisha, the prophet, hears of this and says, I have a little different version of the world and how God works. He sent him to me. Naaman goes to the prophet, takes another trip, alters his path, finds Elisha, stands at the gate, expecting fanfare and pomp and circumstances. Great commanders march to the gate, and Elisha says to a servant, go out and tell him to go wash seven times. And he does. And Naaman says, seriously? This is beyond my limitations and conception of what's supposed to be happening here. And so he's getting ready to storm off and it takes another servant, another humble person that has no conception, no limit because they are made to be humble. And they say, what are you doing? And it takes the servant again to change Naaman's mind. Naaman goes to the river, he bathes, he's cleaned. And the rest of the story, if you read on, he decides... There is only one God on all the planet, and that is the God of Israel. And he seeks to commit every day of his life to worshiping that God alone. There's more to the story, so you ought to read on in your own time. But for today, we look at what happens when people are challenged to look beyond their conceptions of what's possible with our God. Now, when Naaman comes back to Elisha, he has this very limited understanding of what it is to even worship. I'm going to worship God in this way, the way that I've always done growing up. And Elisha could say, well, that's actually not right. But he says, go in peace. Go in peace. Worship the way you know how, and that's good with God, which is quite a lot of trust. There's no grand scene of conversion. Naaman doesn't stand up in front of all the people or anyone important and proclaim that God is God. None of these things that we might expect in our own limitations of the world and of God. And yet peace is had. Nonetheless, a strange and wonderful story. The Galatians, in Paul's words today, has been walking them through the letter. The last few weeks, we've been walking through what the law means. He's reminded them of their new perspective and their new clothes, the new freedom that they've received through baptism that says the law doesn't govern us anymore. That old conception is gone because we have the new creation. They have crucified themselves through Jesus to the world They've participated in it through baptism, and now they must live into the new creation. But the limited perspectives of these strangers that have come and said, no, you need to be following the law, are now leading them backwards. They're digressing. But Paul makes it clear, and I want to make it clear, these agitators trying to work through the law, they're not worshiping God at all, Paul says. They're worshiping themselves. They want to boast in converting the Galatians. They want to stand up and say, we circumcised 45 people. Look at us. And Paul knows that. That's nothing to do with God. That's to do with you. We do that sometimes, don't we? How many people did, you know, stepped into the water? Well, we had 50. All right. Well, what's being done beyond that? Oh, I don't know. We had 50 at baptism. We should just celebrate, right? Well, yes, but isn't there more? Is that all of our faith is? Does it just lead us to the water and that's the end? I hope not. Paul says these agitators, they want people to conform to their version of faith through the law. 
They think everyone must worship their way through circumcision. They think everyone must look and be marked as they are marked because they find their way superior to any other way. They seek to make the Galatians obedient to their own limitations and conceptions and to cast off this foolishness that has to do with the grace of the cross. Do we do this too? Paul operates with the freedom he preaches. In Acts, Timothy is to be circumcised. But he writes to Titus and says, don't. Two different commands from the same person. Why one and not the other? Why the difference? Because Paul understands that true freedom leaves space for difference and diversity. The way I like to say it is, you give the Holy Spirit a container, it doesn't matter what the container is, the Holy Spirit will fill it. Now, I haven't always thought that way. When I was young, I thought everyone should worship like I worshiped, right? Because I was right. That's how I was brought up. My parents are never wrong. Well, I wouldn't have said that as a kid, but you know what I'm saying. And then I traveled to South America and spent time worshiping. I had no idea what they were saying, but I watched them worship in a way that I'd never seen. And then I got to go to France, and they worshiped in silence. And it was uncomfortable and beautiful. And I've had the pleasure to worship in many other places that were different. And I find that if you just make yourself available, the Holy Spirit will, will come and fill you. And it's going to fill us all differently because we might need different things at different times. So I really like, this has been said, a Reverend Carol, um, no, I'm not going to remember her name. She's a Baptist preacher. Um, she wrote and she said, I believe it, that the new gospel produces a church in which unity exists with remarkable diversity. Not despite remarkable diversity, with remarkable diversity. We look around our community outside of these walls. You've walked your town, your neighborhood. Is there diversity in Sellersburg, in New Albany, in Jeffersonville, in Memphis? Yes, there is. Lots of diversity. Do we allow space in our sanctuary for all of the diversity to come and feel safe in the sanctuary? Do we truly have our hearts prepared for the remarkably diversity, remarkable diversity, to enter into our doors, to come and sit next to you in the pew, and to sing songs alongside of you? I want to think I'm ready, and I'm sure you do too, but I wonder. Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning. And if we're honest, it's probably true. Can we say that we've truly left behind our desire for everyone to look and worship as we do? Do we leave space at Christ's table for everyone Christ might call to that table? Now, Reverend Carroll also said, and I believe, the true gospel produces a church of miraculous unity. Miraculous unity. I'm going to tell the story of the Amish community in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Do you remember in 2006 when a gunman entered the school opened fire and killed five of the girls that were attending school and wounded several others. It's not an uncommon reality for us, but how they responded was miraculous. What they did, and it had nothing to do with their Amish culture, it had to do with their perspective, their limitations that weren't there, and their conceptions of what God and peace and love are all about. So on the day of the tragedy, they reached out to the shooter's wife and children prayed for them, forgave the shooter, and gave them food because they realized that they had become victims too. 
They, these kids didn't make the choice, but they're going to have to live with it. And as money came in from all over the nation to support this community, they gave equal shares to the family of the shooter to take care of the kids because for them, they were victims too. I'd like to think that I could operate in that way, that my perspective is ready for something like that, but I have a pretty good idea that I'm not. The true gospel produces a church in which unity exists with remarkable diversity and produces a church of miraculous unity. The true gospel brings new creation here and now. The true gospel lives wholly as if the old creation is actually gone and will never exist again, is breathing its last dying breaths. Are you still fighting the old fights? I can't answer that. But if you are, like I am, we could share together, pray together, and lead each other into something better, gently. We who have received baptism have received the new clothes. We've received freedom, and the Holy Spirit still speaks and longs to lead you into the new creation, the new creation of who you were always created to be. This new creation offers true freedom, as Paul says, eternal life in God, both here and now and forevermore. Are we a part of the new creation? Or are we still living in the limitations of the old? Are you free? Do you feel free? Are you open to the new things that God is doing in the world? Or are you trying to get everything to conform to your own way, your own perspective, and there's no room for anything else? Paul says we reap what we sow, so if you're reaping discouragement, if you're reaping anger, if you're reaping a desire for division, for a lack of compassion, which means we close our ears and we close our heart, we don't want to hear anything else, then I invite you, as we take communion, to remember your baptism, to cast off the old clothes, that you may be dressed in grace and love and the kind of love that was revealed through the cross. So to the Spirit, who has so much more to say, let your own life be resurrected in a new creation centered on a true gospel, that you may truly be free. Be ever ready to bear the light, which means we have to be ever mindful in every situation, especially the hard ones. And if we are, if we stand within the new reality, we keep striving for it every day, if we keep our ears attuned to the Spirit ever beckoning us forward, we will become the new creation ourselves. So may you always be eager to hear what the Spirit has to say, even when you don't like it. May you always be willing to be remade and renewed in Christ continually, over and over, until you are truly set free, over and over. May peace and mercy be on whoever abides by this rule and in God's new Israel. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.